0: This is a CBC Podcast.
1: Hey, I'm Claire Bonnyman.
0: And I'm Min Dariwal.
1: And welcome to The Loop. Min, I'm going to resist singing, uh, which is hard for me. Um, but today we're talking about memory.
0: I know that song. Hmm. <laughs>
1: memories yes oh look at that (laughs) do you have like a preferred way of of collecting or even revisiting memories is it photos is Hmm. it videos yeah,
0: for me it's uh, you know, being a child of the 80s, it really you know the the Sony uh Handycam was oh, yeah. a, was massive back then, right? So we we used to just goof around and take videos of everything. I love it. Um, you know, family trips, uh, you know, and then you look back uh, 25 years later or 35 years later and it's just hilarious, right? But I know I know at my parents' place, they've got photos. My dad used to be a big uh into photography, so he'd take pictures of everything and all of us and uh so there's like a a brown uh, manila envelope full of like hundreds of photos in oh, no particular man. order. So it's kind of fun sometimes every, you know, couple of years or a couple of months to just kind of look through them and laugh. And yeah, just remember back in the day.
1: Hell yeah. 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 I always love the tactile stuff too. Um, yeah. I have all these things from like my grandmother's uh, different embroideries. Right. And so okay. I'll keep them around my house and I hang them on walls. But just like that's cool. there's something cool about the memory that's that's stored in yeah. like a little piece of fabric or even like a sweater um, mm. you know I have one that uh, was hand stitched for my grandfather that says like SS Bonnyman and it's like oh, yeah. a duck with a lifeguard ring oh my
0: goodness it's
1: very random but I turn it into a pillow and it's just like it's nice you can yeah. kind of hold that in your hand and think about it
0: I wish I would have kept all my old clothes from back in the day because oh, yeah. yeah some of those things just take you back to that uh, moment in time right
1: oh man yeah. absolutely well and that's the thing right because memories hold a, a lot of power and mm. and I think the thing about it these days and maybe why we like some of those tactile things is right now it's all digital. Yeah. We hold so many memories on our phones yeah. with photos, too with many. social media. Too
0: many. Yeah, 5,000 photos <laughs> on my phone. Like, it's that's, a lot. It's embarrassing. Well, right? and you but... wonder,
1: like, do some of these need to be there? Yeah. Or have I just not deleted a screenshot? That's it. Um, but there is an element of nostalgia to it, right? You're creating these time capsules. If I scroll far back enough, uh, I have this kind of preserved version of University Claire. Right. I can look back on and like the hair was bad, but the lifestyle was fun. <laughs>
0: So <laughs> at least your hair's still around.
1: <laughs> oh, you did it to yourself. Yeah, but there is this kind of push, I think, to when things are changing yeah. or when you're leaving something behind—kind of those fleeting moments, yeah, right? For sure, we're driven to capture <clears> them, throat> uh, throat> to take those extra photos, and and bring them with us. Um, you know, I think about how much more I was wanting to take photos with my grandmother as I knew she was getting older, right? right? Every time I visited, I wanted to make sure you had a couple yeah. or even videos. And and when you're moving, you're leaving a certain city, you know, all of a sudden you start snapping every part of your walk That's right. to work. That's right. Uh, it's collecting these memories, you know, so you can take them with you wherever you go. Yeah. Um, now, I mean, I have a question and I, mm-hmm. I, I promise this is related. So yeah. roll with me. What do you remember about being 17 years old?
0: Oh my goodness, 17 years old. I remember... Keep PG, yeah, please. I, Thank I, you. I remember being kind of goofy, a bit awkward, thinking I was cool, yeah. having hair too high, you know, uh, <laughs> hair dryers with comb attachments and mm-hmm. finesse hairspray and neon and all sorts of stuff.
1: Do you remember the photos you were taking when you were 17? If we, you were?
0: Yeah, we, we were taking photos with those uh, disposable cameras. Yeah. Really, that was kind of it. I mean, there's not a lot of photos from when we were teenagers, unfortunately. <laughs> Maybe that's a
1: good
0: thing. <laughs> it probably is a good thing. I'm actually really thankful there was no cell phones <laughs> back then. Because <laughs> I might not be here right now. <laughs>
1: Well, so I bring all this up because since March, I've been talking to a woman in town named Slava Francis. Mm -hmm. Um, She organized a GoFundMe uh, to bring her family over from Kiev. Uh, Slava grew up there. She moved to Edmonton in the 90s with uh, a lot of her family, but still has a ton of relatives who are in Ukraine. And so when the war broke out, she's been working really hard to bring some of them here. Mm -hmm. And so this week uh, in the morning, I got to meet uh, Ilya Kortin. So he's 17 years old. And he's Slava's cousin, and he came over from Kiev, Ukraine. He made the trek with his Baba Maria and his cousin Yulia Boyka and Yulia's two sons, Lev and Timur. Lev is two years old. Oh, wow. Timur is 11. Um, and Ilya left his mom and his dad and his cat Lucy back in Kiev. And this week when we met, he was showing me all of these photos on his phone And it really struck me just how different his gallery was than any other 17-year-old I know. It's certainly very different from my phone when I was 17. Of course. um, Or anyone, really. And So he he had all these photos that I remember he was scrolling through. There was a random cat. On a train out of Kiev, because its owners trip, yeah. were evacuating. And so they brought the cat with them and he's sitting in like this little box wow. <laughs> looking very confused. Um, you know, he showed me photos of the hallway where his family kind of moved into for safety. Um, you know, away from windows, uh, they slept with the lights on and their bags packed to leave at a moment's notice. Wow and so this week we just kind of sat in this downtown edmonton apartment that he's in mm-hmm. and we chatted and he showed me what he captured in this kind of ongoing documentation of war
2: like i looked through all my photos in gallery through the 24 from the 24th of february and mm. there are more photos than in 2021 wow uh, the first hours of when the war started we was taping our windows with Duct tape? Oh sorry. <laughs> I tried to find this. Yes, this is how windows look like in my room. <laughs> I'm Ilya Kurtin from Kyiv. Uh, now I'm in Canada. I'm 17 years old.
1: That last day before you left Ukraine, what was that like?
2: It was a really fast decision to start our journey to border of Poland and then to Canada. There was a lot of unknown variables to discover and it was hard for me to decide all these things. We needed to go to the Poland border. We used a train hopefully when we was starting our journey. The, we thought that we could uh, have a train just straightly to Poland but there was <laughs> uh, some problems so We arrived to some city on the border, then to another city. We slept with our families that located on the West Ukraine. And then we finally crossed the border on our foot. It was, of course, hard. But, uh, you know, when I crossed the Poland border, I was feeling safe already.
1: Now, I mean, it it was a rush, right? What were you able to bring from home here?
2: Almost nothing. The most thing in my backpack uh, was my laptop, <laughs> uh, mm, some documents. It all, yeah, I have not a lot of things. I left almost all my life in Kiev. My parents wish very badly about Canadian education. So all uh, what I'm doing now is like going around education and starting new life here maybe like the university next because I was ending like the last class in Ukraine.
1: So tell me about the hockey game that you got to go to.
2: Yeah, I think it's like one of the most Canadian things that I could done. And there was like a little snowing that day. I never was visiting any of sport competition. In fact, I'm not interested in any sport. Like it was my first time. It was interesting experience about everything was loud people were screaming (laughs) and yeah
1: you've now just come out of a situation that everyone is watching unfold what's happening in Ukraine what do you want people to know about what's going on back home for you
2: it's very hard to understand how it's to live in war time without being there Uh, it's like while I was in Kyiv well, like, like the war time I was in Kiev was 10 days, like from 21st February, um, like the worst scene experienced was like the building that blowed like in couple of like s- 30, 100 meters like from my house and Everyone was thought that Kiev will be captured in a couple of days because it's the capital. So a lot of people escaped from Kyiv to their villages, cities, another and countries. It is interesting. I I think now I'm from all of them. I like the forest from Kiev. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Does that
1: feel weird?
2: It's not weird. It's hard because of education at night, uh, like. <laughs> I'm still trying to learn something from my Ukrainian classes and <laughs> it's hard to study at 4 a.m. Uh, this is how I uh, took a video of people 24 February to 12 a.m. Mm-hmm. People were living their flats. Uh, we were living there, it is our uh, hallway all the bags just sinks to you can fast to carry on and run away.
1: So tell me, I mean, the first couple of days after the war started, before you guys left, what was that like?
2: Uh, Julia says that day in Ukraine filled for her like years, like long months. But for me, this whole 10 days was filled for me like one long day, extremely long day. I and my family Mm, We were sleeping with light turned on, so it was like a day for 24 hours right now, so it was a strange experience about that. I really was worried about my, mm, my mind health, because it is nothing I have ever experienced in my life. Still today, I'm sometimes a little bit afraid of loud sounds, <laughs> like maybe the police cars outside uh, or any things that could be loud. Sometimes it scares me, but not a lot, because mm, I never thought that I can go to the window and hear the uh, air attack. It was very scary for me, and mentally it was strange <laughs> Because people are not born for feel that it's really strange All my friends who, who stayed in ukraine like some of them Started to be very patriotic and their fathers like some of even my teachers go to the territorial defense now and uh, A lot of my friends like most of my friends they are the same age as me because they're from my class 16, 17 uh, and some of them like, wish to turn 18 faster to go to the t- territorial defense <laughs> it's really hard to me to understand that I'm here in safe mm, while all people in Kiev, <laughs> in Ukraine <laughs> I want mean just to say that I'm fine here, I'm like not really worried about everything that happens to me here, <laughs> it is really hard to have fun here, Like even going to the hockey game, it's strange for me, because I understand that here is everything is okay, there is no war, while <laughs> their bombs are falling, while I'm sitting on the hockey game.
0: talking about memories, one of my favorites as a kid in Edmonton was going to this store called the Inside Edge. It was a skateboard store on Stony Plain Road. I mean, if you were into skateboarding yeah. or any kind of just the skateboard culture at all, mm-hmm. you spent some time. You spent a ton of time there.
1: So clarify for me. Were you a skateboarder?
0: I was trying to become one. I wanted to become one. Uh, my, my skateboarding history, it's a, it's a complicated one. Uh, uh-huh. When I was like seven, eight years old. I got a board, one of those banana boards, against my mom's wishes. Oh, no. And she said, okay, okay, you've got the board. You cannot take it to school. What did I do? (laughs) You took it to school. I took it to school. (laughs) What happened to me? I fell. Oh, no. And I scraped my nose, and it was (sighs) bloody, and so I couldn't even hide it from my mom. So when I walked through the door, it was the skateboard days were over
1: baby rebel men.
0: So that was like seven, eight. And then about 10 years after that, or seven or eight more years after that, I tried to get back into it. So mm-hmm. I really had to convince her, but anyway, we would go to the inside edge, you know, uh, the vision Gate or skateboards or Rob Roscoff, you know, yeah. Powell Peralta, all of these crazy, massive global brands from the eighties, <laughs> um, you know, and boards weren't cheap back then. Yeah. So we're trying to, we're trying to get uh, ourselves boards and we'd get on the bus from Millwoods and it felt like it would take like half the day to I get love it. to get there but uh it was
1: such a cool cultural thing to be a part of. Like yeah. I can't skate for not For us it was just, for us, for it was just me, starting. But, yeah. Yeah. I can't skate for the life of me. But it, it's fun. Like I remember there was a skate park right behind the library sure. that I went to all the time with friends and you would sit and you would watch people just pull cool tricks. Yeah. And I would be like, Oh, I wish I was more coordinated. Yeah. But it's just it's a really cool community and it really has grown a ton.
0: Yeah. It's I mean it, it really has grown a ton and it, and it's sustained itself, right? And it's legitimized itself, which Absolutely. is great to see. So uh yeah, it it has been it has been fun to watch it grow. And, of course, one of the guys who has helped it grow and has helped sustain it here in Edmonton is a fellow by the name of Warren Curry. Uh, he's a name familiar to many skate and snowboarders in the city. If you grew up here and spent any time on a board, chances are you talked to <laughs> Warren about it. And uh, he joins us now on The Loop. Hi, Warren. Hi. So, I mean, it's it's hard to believe that uh, you've been involved in, in all of this for, for what what has it been now, like 35, 40 years?
3: Uh, yeah, that, I mean, I guess... Selling snowboards in the city, it's been 37 years. Oh, wow.
1: That's, that's not nothing. <laughs> uh, I mean, Warren, how did this begin? How did you get involved in snow and skateboarding?
3: Oh, I mean, as as a young kid, I guess, just, you know, got into skateboarding in the kind of 70s in the first wave. My, my brother and I bought a skateboard at a garage sale that had clay wheels on it. Oh, my God. Um, which was the first one, and we kind of took turns trying to not die going down the driveway, <laughs> <laughs> hitting pebbles. Um, and it just kind of went from there, got into skateboarding. And I guess that would have been 1971 and then snowboarding uh, in about 1979.
0: Wow. that Like that is at the beginning of all of this, isn't it?
3: Uh, yeah, pretty close <laughs> anyways, for sure. <laughs>
0: And so I know you know we were talking earlier about the inside edge. Uh, you got involved with that store. Um, take me back to that, and and when you kind of transitioned and ended up being the guy running it.
3: Yeah, well, I I, I mean, I, the inside edge that was in Edmonton on Stony Plain Road. My uh-huh. my brother was their first employee, um, and a couple seasons later, I, I got hired when I was still in high school to work part time, um, and then did that for a few years, uh, nineteen eighty eight. They opened up a location out in St. Albert, and uh, I got uh, asked to go out there and be work full-time. And mm. did that for about a year, and then was asked to manage it, manage that for another year, and then got to buy in for... A, uh, as a partner in that and did that until about 1996 and then opened up my own store Easy Rider
0: That's so that's so cool I mean you talk about that store on Stony Plain Road and um I, like I it totally brings takes me back right like I mean we grew I grew up in Millwoods and I remember we used to jump on the bus and it felt like it used to take half a day to get there uh but we used to just come go in there and it was just kind of like this Like, you know, it was was like, oh, you know, you look at all the boards in there and it just used to be wild. You must have had kids coming in from all over, not just uh, Edmonton, but all over the place. Right.
3: Oh, for sure, yeah. I mean, we would, you know, back then we were kind of one of the very few places that was selling, you know, skateboard stuff in even northern Alberta. Yeah. So, I mean, we had, you know, families coming from all over the all over the place, all northern Alberta and stuff. And wow. I can remember one time talking to some kids and they came in on their bicycles, BMX bikes even, <laughs> and they're all like super <laughs> tired looking. And I'm like, where'd you guys come from? And they're like, oh, we rode from Wobboman. Huh. Oh my goodness. And I'm like, rode your b m x bikes from Wabaman to get skateboard stuff, and they're like, Yeah, we left at like four thirty in the morning oh
0: my goodness,
3: <laughs> so that's that's yeah i i I fully understand what you're saying about yeah. taking the bus, and you know, i I hear those stories all the time, so that's so cool. <laughs>
1: Warren, I got to know, because now skateboarding and snowboarding, it's very mainstream, right? Like, it's part of popular culture. But you were part of, as you said, that kind of first wave here in Edmonton. What's it like now when you look back on those days in the 70s and 80s when you were discovering it and and running the store?
3: Oh, I mean, not in my wildest dreams Mm -hmm. back then. I mean, even when I, I guess when I started managing a store did I ever think that I would, you know, make a life for myself and, you know, my wife and my kids and mm. uh, selling snowboards and skateboards. I mean, uh, skateboards, you know, kind of went through the up and down cycles of popularity, going all the way back to the 60s. And, and it, you know, every kind of seven or eight years, it cycles up, and then it goes down and that type of thing. And, and when snowboarding came along, I mean, at first we weren't allowed on any ski hills, and then when we did get onto ski hills, there was you know quite the the rift between snowboarders and skiers, which which I think honestly led to its to its growth with the youth because it was that more rebellious kind of sport, um, and then it just kind of has grown from there, um, you know, Olympic acceptance and all of that kind of stuff, and TV ads with snowboarders trying to sell cars and all those kinds of things. Um, it, it's been pretty amazing to witness.
0: I actually remember, Warren, like some of my buddies worked at Rabbit Hill and they were ski instructors and they were just starting to try snowboarding and, you know, they were they were they were jumping into their Sorel snow boots and strapping onto a board and it was like, <laughs> everybody was looking at them like they were crazy. And I remember for the longest time, you know, they weren't allowed. They weren't allowed on on, on certain ski hills and stuff, right? And uh, they were kind of viewed as these outlaws. Um, you know, what, what was, what, how hard was that to, like, you know, have to deal with that back then? It sounds like you were you were experiencing that, too.
3: Oh, oh, for sure, yeah. I mean, there was, I, I guess in Alberta, there would have been myself and my brother, Scott. Um, mm-hmm. And then in southern Alberta, there was a guy by the name of Ken Auchenbach um, <laughs> and his his two brothers. Uh,
0: the Auchenbachs, um, though. That's and, a great the handle. The <laughs>
3: family, yeah. And, and they were kind of about the same time. They were maybe six, eight months ahead of where my brother and I were and stuff in uh-huh. terms of promoting the sport and getting the thing going. But yeah, I mean, the first few years it was just hiking up and down the Toboggan Hill, right? Yeah. And, and anywhere there was snow, we, I, can, I can remember. And you would definitely get in much more trouble now. But we used to take my parents' car and park it along the side of the freeway, all where there was the hills, right. and just at night, and just put the hazards on, and jump out and go and hike up and down, and cool. track track out a certain area, and get back in the car and drive a hundred yards, and hike up and down the hill, track out that area, and drive down, and you know nobody bothered you because it was at night, nobody even cared but um and then and then once you know ski areas we kind of like the once the boards i guess progressed um to have metal edges because the first ones were basically just pieces of plywood mm-hmm. um, once they had ptex bases and metal edges and were more or ski like construction you know we started getting skier acceptance and you know my brother and i went to all of the local hills um Sun Ridge out in the northeast end, which actually used to be called Hidden Ridge back then, was the first in northern Alberta to allow it. And, you know, we had to kind of beg and plead and show them that we could do it and turn and stop and those kinds of things. Right. And and it just went from there, uh, Rabbit Hill, and then Lake Eden, which is no longer around, and Edmonton Ski Club, and a couple years later, Snow Valley eventually came on, which is kind of ironic since my shop is very close to it. Right down the, the, yeah, they were one of the last to allow in Alberta, actually. But um, and yeah, it was it was different. You know, we would I can remember going to Jasper to try to get them allowed, and we had phoned and made an appointment to meet with the management, and. We get to the bottom, and they're like, yeah, okay, so these snowboard things, yeah, and they looked at them, and they're like, okay, well, uh, start walking. We're like, okay. (laughs) Really? And so they they all got on the chairlift, and this was back when there was just the one chairlift at the base there, and they said, start hiking. So my brother and I had to walk up underneath the chairlift, and they came, you know, a few whatever minutes later, they came skiing down, and they're like, oh, you're not far enough. We're going to take another run. Keep walking. Wow. And so we had to keep walking up the hill, (laughs) carrying our boards, and they came down after a second run and said, okay, we'll make some turns and stop. You know, and it was unfortunately icy Jasper, but we managed to make some turns and stop and they went, oh, okay. And the first year they just allowed us on the old caribou chair, which was the one way off to the side. Uh, kind of going up from the fourth parking lot, okay, and, and so that was the snowboarders' chairlift,
0: and that was the only place you'd. you'd be and that able to was the
3: only chairlift we were allowed on. I mean, and if yeah. you tried to get on another chairlift, they would wouldn't allow you for the first season. So,
0: and, yeah. and is is there any accuracy to this that you guys used to actually qualify people and and kind of vouch for them in order for them to be able to hit the hill with their snowboards?
3: Yeah, yeah, there was that a is thing crazy. a thing in the early days that came around. It was called certification, <laughs> and it. it basically stemmed from ski area insurance companies, right. um, going, Oh yeah, we're not going to allow these things on the Hills unless people are good enough to do it and not hurt people. Wow. So all of the areas, the local areas, the mountains, everywhere, um, you had to be certified to be able to get on to, to, be, well, to even be able to buy a lift ticket by and, you guys. <laughs> uh, yeah. And, and my brother and I ended up being the people, the two guys in Northern Alberta and the Aachen box in Southern Alberta, that you had to snowboard in front of us, and we had to watch you, and then we would sign a little business card thing that said, you know, John Doe is capable of controlling a snowboard, and sign. I would sign my name, and then they would go and get that laminated and show it to the people at the lift ticket, and they could buy a then buy a lift ticket, so...
1: Warren, I, like I hear this level of commitment that I don't know if I've ever had to anything, especially not a sport. <laughs> hey, no kidding. I mean, from from starting with your brother to ripping on the hazards and going down hills, uh, to climbing up mountains in order to be able to board down them. Mm. I mean, what is it that you love about this sport, whether it's skateboarding or snowboarding?
3: Uh, it it's just. I, I mean, it's it's indescribable. Other than if you do it, it's the feeling the feeling of sliding sideways down a hill whether it's on a skateboard or a snowboard and it's it's just that standing sideways type of feeling that uh you know i don't know it's indescribable but it's it's hooked me for the last 41 years
1: (laughs) Uh, now i hate to invoke covid but i have to ask because the last two years you know we've really seen a run on things like bikes and and Mm. outdoor sports what's it been like for you with skates and snowboards do you see a demand or any growth happening in the community
3: Oh, for sure. You know, I mean, it was, it was a little scary at the beginning, you know, just a, two years ago, I guess, when we were locked down. I mean, my business was forced to close for almost two months. So that that was pretty scary and wasn't sure if I was going to, you know, go back to sweeping floors in a warehouse or something for a job after that, but managed to make it through it. And 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 yeah, you're right. Just like bicycles or, or motorbikes or anything outdoors, for that matter. Um, once we were able to reopen, uh, it just it went bananas. <laughs> Everybody right. wanted a skateboard or a longboard or a stand up paddleboard, which we also sell. And then the following first winter, you know, snowboard sales were were very very good and, and made up for the the two months we were closed but uh, yeah and, and it it's still continuing i mean this this last winter was a bit of a drop off uh from last the year before but yeah. um definitely seeing lots and lots of new people and and even more so uh people that are maybe in that kind of 35ish age category that I probably taught how to snowboard or or like yourself sold skateboard stuff to when they were a little kid. Um, And they've now got to the point in their life where they've, you know, done school, you know, got a a spouse and had kids. And and the kids are now of age where they want their kids to get out snowboarding. And so their kids are old enough that they can do stuff. So there's been a really big increase in that demographic of people getting back into snowboarding.
1: Yeah. I mean, I want to know more about this community. Tell me about the boarding community in Edmonton and what it's like being really a a leader in it.
3: Oh, it's great. I mean, there's a a really good, strong community, um, even in Alberta, for that matter. Alberta has one of the highest per capita snowboarding uh, communities in, in all of North America. Um, and it's just because we're, it's winter for so long here. Our seasons are so much longer and we got to get outside and do something. Mm. Um, but, yeah, the community in Edmonton, is, it, it's awesome. They're, they're very engaged. They come to all the events that we put on and support us and, and support the sport of snowboarding in general.
0: So. Well, that's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome to hear you guys are still going strong, and um, it, it's been great to kind of go back down memory lane because uh, I still remember those days going to Inside <laughs> Edge, And um, but it's great to hear that you're still uh, carving up on those hills.
1: Yeah. Yep. Now I just got to learn how to skateboard. There you go. Warren's sure. your, your guy. Yeah, definitely. <laughs>
3: Come on by. We'll, we'll set you up.
1: What if I have two left feet, though? Can I still skateboard?
3: Oh, it's, it's easy for sure. I mean, it's... You're it's, goofy I, right away. There you go. The, the key is just making sure you, you, you know, don't get your expectations too high that you're going to become Tony Hawk and doing <laughs>
0: stuff. And exactly.
3: You know, if you start out board technology, I mean, even where a lot of people are starting out now is with either a longboard or, or what's known as a cruiser board so it would look like a skateboard, but it'll have bigger, softer wheels. So it'll roll over all those pebbles and on, and cracks in the sidewalk and stuff. So.
1: I love it. I'm great at low expectations. So. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> The Loop is a weekly podcast from CBC Edmonton, and our team is Min Darwal, Leslie Goldstone, Corey Haberstock, and James Evans. Our theme music is Change Your Mind by Edmonton musician John Common, and I'm Claire Bonnyman. Thank you so much for listening.
0: Yes, always. Uh, we appreciate everybody tuning in uh, weekly, and uh, it's, we wouldn't be here without you, so uh, thank you very much. And uh, you know what? There's always so much more to know and get into The Loop with us every Friday, so you, know, you can leave us a rating, a review, Tell us something that maybe we need to look into. Yeah. Right? And uh, we can uh, make the calls and we'll get them on there. And uh, if you want to get in touch with us, we have an email, cbc.ca. Use the hashtag #TheLoopCBC on social media and reach out to us via Twitter. Claire, you are?
1: At Naming
0: And I'm at Min Dariwall. And of course, follow the show on CBC Listen or your favorite podcasting app. Grinding. Is that skateboarding? Hey, do you like that when I said, hey, you're grinding and carving?
1: (laughs) That was kind of amusing, actually. That was for the skaters. I refer...
0: (laughs) For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.